Welcome, welcome, welcome to what might be the most selfish episode of Who Says No I've ever recorded. Normally, this show is entirely transaction-focused, off-season-focused, etc. But next week, I'll be traveling to a state where sports betting is legal. And while I'm there, I'm going to place all of my futures bets. So I guess those bets are pretty heavily influenced by the off-season. So I think that's how we tie this in. But really, I just wanted an excuse to ask today's guest for his advice on some of these picks. So joining me today to talk about the awards races, how you can make some money off of this offseason, et cetera, et cetera, is Brandon Anderson from the Action Network. Brandon, how you doing? Man, I'm doing well. I am uh, deep in the throes of the NFL season. I can't believe we're only like a month away from NBA 2. Um, man, it's, it's exciting. We, it feels like every couple of days there's another big trade, another big signing, extension, something and, uh, you know, the NBA never sleeps. There's, there's something every day, and we're going to be in media day and training camp like a couple of weeks from now, and off we go. So I'm excited to make you some money today. You made me a fortune on prop bets last year. <laughs> I think you're like, are you the best living prop better? Like, is, does anybody have <laughs> any sort of claim to that title other than you? Well, I, I, I must say it's only really been one season that, that things really went well, or, or I guess one season that I really did a lot of them. The numbers last year were absurd. I, I kept, you know, just double taking when I would check and we, we floated at like 20 or 25% ROI on props the entire season on like 600 bets, which I kept waiting for the inevitable crash to come. And we, we had a little wave, waves every now and then, but the waves were like, oh, well, we came out even this week. Sorry, guys. We'll, we'll try to make 20% again next week. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's, it was a wild ride last season. Uh, our props tool and our projections tools and all the good tools at Action Network, definitely highly recommended because that's all that stuff is coming straight out of there. But, yeah, it was it was a wild ride. I'd have days where, you know, we'd go 3-0 and for the third straight day in a row, and I'd log off Twitter for the night and check the next morning and have like streams of hundreds of followers who are just like thirsty, so thirsty for more good picks. So I, I, the pressure is on now. We got to see how it goes this season, but I'm excited for it. I've learned that there are three things on Twitter that will get you a billion followers at once. Nice tweets about the Raptors, nice tweets about the Blazers and winning picks. It's those three (laughs) things. When I say anything nice about Portland, I wake up the next day. It's like, why do I have 80 new followers? Oh, I said I was thinking about Portland as the three seed. Okay, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know why it's those teams specifically, but I was living in Vegas last year and I lost a lot of money on other things, but you were able to fund those losses. I, I think the reason <laughs> I was okay losing, let's just, I'll say four figures and leave it at that on the Philly series versus Atlanta is that I had built up Oof. such a big bankroll on props earlier in the season <laughs> But going into this season, I want to get preemptive about this. And since I'm not going to be living in a state where gambling's legal, I can't be doing the day-to-day prop stuff. Oof. But I can take advantage of your knowledge beforehand, make my futures bets, and then not touch them when I'm already ahead and not lose them on Philly <laughs> again. Um, so let's start with MVP. I think we're on the same page about the favorite. The rule that I'm going in with this year, last year I did win money on Nikola Jokic. The problem was being in Vegas, I was betting the, the new narrative like every day for the first, I don't know, two, three months of the season. Like, I think the low for me <laughs> was when I woke up the day before the Lakers Sixers regular season game. The first one when they were both one team, I'm like, the Lakers are going to win and that's going to be LeBron's narrative win. 
And I went and I put like three or 400 bucks on LeBron. <laughs> uh, it was like literally every day was something like that. This year, I'm not doing that. I am picking three players from three different tiers of odds. And I'm just leaving it at that. We'll start with the favorites. I'm going to say you count as a favorite if your odds are below plus a thousand. Does that seem reasonable? Yeah, that seems fair. It probably depends on, on the award, but I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb. For MVP, I would say that's about right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think we're on the same page as to who our favorite is, is one of the few bets I've already made, which is Giannis Antetokounmpo plus 800 to win MVP. Are you on the same page there? Very, very much on the same page. That's my guy. I, yep. Normally for MVP, I would want to build a bit of a position. And as my guys at Action Network would be sure to point out quickly, I tend to be a long shot sort of person. Not necessarily just to go for broke, not crazy, crazy long shots, though I've definitely got a few of those for you today. But I, I, I love to pick the narrative awards, which MVP certainly is that. And I love to kind of pre-tell the narrative, you know, think ahead to what story will we be telling? And then how do I bet that before the story happens? And to, here, here's how the MVP race sets up. And this is going to set up a lot of the, how I feel about the other awards as well. So many of the awards come down to a player or even a coach or whatever. Almost always, many of these awards come down to you got to be one of those top two or three seeds. That's it. You just you have to win. You got to win a lot. And the MVP race in recent years is starting to sway a little bit away from that. But I'm not really ready to throw out all the voting trends and where everything has gone with us. And so here's where I look at with MVP. You know, the the race at the top of each conference is going to be tight. And I don't necessarily know who is the best team yet, except for three teams that I feel very, very sure are like definite top, you know, two or three seeds. And those teams are the Brooklyn Nets, the Los Angeles Lakers and the Milwaukee Bucks. So like, look, we know how MVP works. You need to have a lot of numbers. You need to win a whole lot of games. Or, or like have 700 triple doubles, you know, in Westbrook's case, that was an exception. But basically, almost always, it comes from a one or two seed. You probably need 55, 60 wins. And you need to be the star on your team, not one of the stars. Like we've seen how these super teams go. We don't give MVPs to those teams. So we've got three teams. We've got one team with the Lakers with three superstars. We got one team with the Nets with three superstars. And then there are the Bucks with one superstar. And last year, I was out 100% on Giannis's MVP. I ruled him out from the, get, from the jump because we're never giving him another one in a row. Like going into last season, while the Bucks were labeled as playoff chokers, and while we were all like, oh, well, I don't know, maybe Giannis is just a regular season guy, which he never was, but that was the story. That's the narrative. And we were never giving another MVP until we saw what we just saw. Now we saw it. Now we have a champion. We have a guy that has like a hundred percent approval rating. Everyone loves him. Everyone will be more than happy to, to celebrate him, like retroactively celebrate his championship. He's the one superstar on a team. I definitely know is going to be awesome. Plus 800 is ludicrous to me. Like, I even that's not to say that he is a lock to win. There are no such things. There are no locks, but it, it would shock me if he is not a clear top three candidate halfway through the season. And at a lot of books now you can cash out. 
So even if you're not feeling it, even if there is a Jokic next year, whoever the, the other candidate is, Giannis's odds are not going to stay at plus 800. That's an implied 11% to win. This dude is not 11% likely to be MVP. It's a lot higher than that. Well, Luca is the betting favorite, and I saw him on DraftKings at plus 380 today. At the very least, Giannis should be the betting favorite. I feel pretty comfortable saying that. Even if you think they're of similar caliber as players, the roster issues in Dallas, and frankly, now the coaching issues with Jason Kidd there. By the way, not a coincidence, Giannis won his first two MVPs <laughs> the first two years after Jason Kidd left. Now Jason Kidd is coaching Luca. I don't think that's going to help Luca's candidacy, but I've got a stat for you as far as the Lakers and the Nets go. Aside from Stephen Curry, every scoring champion in the NBA since 2009 is on either the Lakers or the Nets. That oh should goodness. give you that <laughs> should give you a sign of how much star power there is on those rosters and how much they're going to dilute the vote amongst themselves. And we'll get to scoring leader and assist leader later. Like the guys on those teams just aren't going to have the ball often enough to really put up league leading stats. So if this is about wins. I also just think the Bucks have a chance to be like a regular season juggernaut. Like I think there are scenarios here where this is the best regular season Bucks team. And that's saying something considering they were on a 70 win pace for most of two years ago. Right. Like they have so much shooting around Giannis now, right? Like PJ Tucker gone replaced with Grayson Allen and with George Hill, who by the way, George Hill was awesome for them two years ago. I feel like people have forgotten that. Um, Dante DiVincenzo coming back. You had the league in three point percentage that year. Yeah. Still did. Dante DiVincenzo coming back, you know, Brooke Lopez, still Brooke Lopez is a shooter. And in the regular season, he's planted behind the arc a lot more often. I also just look at the defenses around the league. And I think they finished number nine last year because they were experimenting for the playoffs. Well, they've already figured out the playoff side of things now, right? Like they don't have to spend the regular season tinkering as they did last season. Now they can kind of get back to more of the drop coverage that made them so great. But look at the other defenses around the league. Like who's standing in their way for the number one defense, right? Like Philly might lose Ben Simmons. The Lakers lost all of their guards. There's going to be shooting aggression from the Knicks opponents, like maybe Utah, maybe Miami. Like I think they're pretty clearly going to be, if not the number one defense, top three. And then you combine that on offense with Giannis plus a bunch of shooting. This feels like a no brainer. This feels like if everybody stays healthy, this is a possible 60, 65 win team. And I think they're going to care about the regular season because they saw how good they were at home in the playoffs. They don't want to play another game seven in Brooklyn. (laughs) Yeah. They don't want any part of that. And the thing is too, I think you, you could go devil's advocate and say, well, yeah, but who cares about the regular season? Now they know that playoffs are a different thing. They're just going to wait their time and wait for the playoffs. But the thing is, it's not like they've had their foot on the gas pedal these last couple of seasons anyways. Like they're not playing Giannis huge minutes in the regular season. They're not playing any of their guys monster minutes. They're, they don't have to because they're so good that they're blowing a lot of the bad teams out. And like, yeah, what you said is how I feel about the regular season. The teams that have the best records, the teams at the top, the teams that the MVP come from tend to be the ones that have great defense and they tend to be the ones that take care of the mediocre and the bad teams. That's, that's a totally different criteria than what works in the playoffs, but we need a lot of wins. We need those 60 wins and the Bucks blow out the bad teams and they have for years under Bud. I have a stat for you they on have that. The from your coworker, actually. I saw this. Matt Moore tweeted this out. Under Mike Budenholzer, the Bucks are 38 and four against their division. 
<laughs> yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and what a division it is to my my hometown Chicago Bulls representing proudly on that one. <laughs> Are they they're the best team in that division aside from the Bucks right now, which is not really saying much. <laughs> it's 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 saying a lot, just maybe not the thing it wants to say. <laughs> so, so we we Oh, go yeah. ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so I, I think we've made the case for Giannis pretty well. I guess I, I want to just comment on Luka Doncic. To me, Luka is pretty obviously going to be an MVP someday. It's just not this year for me. And the biggest reason is Jason Kidd. I just, I can't get there on Jason Kidd as a coach. And I can't get there on Dallas as a top two or three seed and getting enough wins to, to be able to contend for this. That's not a team that I think is those things we just said. They're not going to be a great defensive team. They're not going to be a team that like is super consistent. I think taking care of the bad teams, and you know, this sounds crazy to say because he's so young. But how much better can Luca really get to elevate the team? Like betting on Luca Doncic, I'm not betting against him. I'm betting against all the other guys around him on the team and on the coaching staff. I just I don't love it. Like. I, I will see when it comes to the playoffs. Maybe I'll give him a shot there. I, I certainly don't like to bet against him there. But MVP is a team award. You've got to win the games. You've got to have the spine that holds you your ground there for the star to shine. And I just, I don't buy Dallas enough. So I think it's not the right year for Luca. Yeah, I agree. And then the other factor in there is that Dallas roster is so weak that if, let's say, Luca sprains an ankle and misses two weeks. Ooh. Ugly. They might go one and seven, right? Like yeah. the Bucks have proven that they can at least like play competent 500 basketball without Giannis. I have no confidence whatsoever in Dallas to do so, especially right. because Rick Carlisle isn't their coach, right? Like this right. is what yep. Rick Carlisle did best, cultivate backup ball handlers. Well, Jason Kidd doesn't do that. <laughs> so it's going to be much harder for them to raise their floor. But you mentioned Luca's roster issues. I think you go down the line with all of the other, you know, high favorite players here. Joel Embiid, you have the injury issues, and I think there are going to be seating issues as well with this Ben Simmons thing hanging over everything that they're doing. Kevin Durant, we went through it already. There's just too much talent on the Nets. Stephen Curry, I guess you could say if he plays as much as he did last year, he's a really viable candidate. But I think with Clay Thompson coming back, and really more importantly, they've gotten rid of, rid of a lot of those like G-leaguer minutes, right? Like they probably led the league last year in minutes played by players that were not of NBA caliber. Well, they did pretty well with the minimum, right? They got Otto Porter, they got Nemanja Bielitsa, et cetera, et cetera. They aren't going to have to play Stephen Curry 42 minutes to get like up to, let's say the number five seed. Like I feel pretty comfortable that they're not going to be fighting for their playoff lives in the way they were last year. So if his minutes go down, his numbers are going to go down. So among those candidates under plus 1000, I think we agree. Like Giannis is the only choice here. Yeah, I think the only thing I would say is, you know, I I do think if the Warriors get to a top two, maybe top three seed, I think Steph is maybe a runaway MVP at that point. So, like, the, the media and the voters will fall over themselves to give Steph Curry another MVP. We love him. We love to give him credit. He'll have awesome numbers. He'll make us giggle shooting threes from wherever. So... If you believe in the Warriors, if you want to bet on the Warriors team over, if you want to bet on them making a run, then Steph MVP is the play, I think. I believe in Steph. I'm wearing a Steph shirt right now. I believe in Draymond. I don't believe in the rest of the roster. 
Um, I think it's better. I do like the guys you said, but the the core guys, Andrew Wiggins, and yeah, they're going to be giving big minutes to to James Wiseman and to Jonathan Kuminga, and uh, I, I I prefer to give minutes to guys who know how to play basketball personally. So shots fired, I guess. But I I just I can't get excited about that Warriors roster. I think even if you do like it, Clay is probably not going to be back right away. And the Warriors come out the first week and play both LA teams. And I feel like that's a recipe to get just blown out of the waters in a couple of games, possibly. So I feel like if you do like that, I get it. I think if the Warriors, you know, get high enough, then Steph is a pretty easy choice. To me, it's it's Giannis is not necessarily that. It's not like people are just going to be dying to give him another MVP. To me, Giannis is the new LeBron in that year after year for like what, almost two decades now, you just go into the year knowing that, well, who's going to be the MVP? Well, it's this guy or this guy or LeBron. Those are the three choices. And it's always him. It's it's not, I don't think, LeBron anymore. Giannis has taken his place as guy who will always have awesome numbers, who will always be deserving, who will always be a most valuable player and is going to be on every ballot at the end of the year. Like he's, he's going to be on every top five ballot. We know that that's how good he's going to be and how valuable he'll be. And it's just like, he's the default. If there's not another candidate that comes in, cashes in and runs away with it, Giannis is the default answer. And if you can get the default answer at plus 800, you, you got to get your money on it, I think. So I so, look at the timeline of how Giannis won and it was runaway pretty much the both years, right? Like we knew by, I don't know, New Year's that Giannis was probably the MVP. And that's sort of what I hold against Curry here, because if Clay isn't coming back until Christmas, Curry just might not be in the narrative conversation at that point. Like, right. Like we might've just decided by that point, Oh, the bucks are, I don't know, like 29 and six Giannis is the MVP or whatever crazy number they're at. I don't know. Like, I feel like Curry is starting at such a disadvantage. He would have to go crazy down the stretch, but with all those rookie minutes, I'm pretty dubious, you know, I think he's yeah, probably the second best among these guys, but Giannis is a clear number one. Yeah, I, I will say to that, I don't think that Giannis has in him the lock it up MVP season. Like, I mean, he clearly has that level of play, but because we've already we've already given him everything, I don't think there's going to be that like, okay, even if they're 29 and six and everyone knows, okay, Giannis clearly is the MVP because he's won it and because he's got all the awards that is the, you know, like think of Jokic last year where like we all knew he was the MVP by February, but then we spent the next two months like begging any other player to challenge him. Oh, maybe it's Embiid. No, he got hurt. Maybe it's LeBron. No, no, he got hurt. Like we, any other answer. I don't think Giannis is quite that, but I don't think that like if the Warriors come out and go 29 and six and it's January 1st, Steph is the MVP. It's over. Just, just stop, (laughs) close the books. It's done. Giannis doesn't have that in him because like he, he's, he just doesn't have that magic that way. Like Luca, same thing. If the Mavs come out and just look amazing, it's done. Giannis can't quite get there. I think so. There is a little bit of a crack that he would leave open, but then again, you've got the cash out. So I I just think if nothing else, Get your money in and wait for the eight hundred to drop down to like two, three, four hundred range, and then cash out if you're not not feeling it. Then, so if we're looking for guys to challenge Giannis in the middle of the season, I have two candidates in the mid tier range. Let's say between okay. ten to one and thirty to one. Here are the two that I like: 
I think one of these two teams is going to end up in the like end up being the surprising like number three seed ish, maybe high, a well recorded number four seed, whatever. Trey Young twenty to one, and Damian Lillard fourteen to one. Lillard is the one that I'm really keeping an eye on here because there is such a narrative here of we have not appreciated him enough. We haven't, you know, he hasn't gotten his flowers. He hasn't had the right team around him. And yes, I know there are going to be people who say, oh, there was all this distraction around Lillard, maybe possibly definitely not requesting a trade. Well, Kobe (laughs) Bryant won his MVP the year he requested a trade. So like, I don't see why that has to knock Lillard out. The question has always been team success. I'm really bullish on what they did this offseason. I think Larry Nance is like the single perfect role player for them. I think getting rid of Carmelo and Ennis Kanter is going to help their bench defense so much. Like Cody Zeller is competent. Tony Snell is competent. And if you get that bench defense up from the god-awful place it was last year to just basic competence, I think they can be a number three or number four seed. And people are going to want to vote for Damian Lillard. If If it's close, I think he's like, If you're a voter, you'd rather pick him over Giannis if that's a realistic option. Those are my mid-tier candidates. We can talk about Trey Young in a little bit, but do you have anybody else in that range that you really like? Yeah, let me ask you this about Damian Lillard before I give my guys. Do you think, would you like his chances better if I told you that he was staying on the Blazers roster all season or if you knew that he was getting traded? And if so, what team do you want him on to maximize your MVP shot? I think I'd want him on Portland's roster because if he got traded, I would guess either the Knicks, in which case they wouldn't be a high enough seed, or Philly, in which case Embiid would probably be your MVP if they don't dilute each other. I think Portland is his best chance at crafting the right narrative, and it's his best chance at you know being the undisputed leader of a pretty good team. Yeah, I think that's a good case. I, I agree with that too. I, th- I think that Damian Lillard is a more valuable player if he's in Philadelphia. But as far as how we define most valuable player in MVP, he needs to stay where he's at. And then you just need Portland to have an awesome season. And I I don't know if I quite see Portland. Like I do like what Portland did with their roster. I also think that the West is like weirdly open. I agree with necessarily at, at the bottom of the playoffs, but that, to get to that, you know, I think the Lakers are going to be a juggernaut if they stay even remotely healthy, but that's it. I don't know who is after that. Like the two seed is just up for grabs as far as I'm concerned. You know, there, there's certainly the Jazz will be good again. The Sun should be good. Like there certainly are teams that I understand the case for, but if you told me the Blazers are the two seed, sure, I, I could see that, you know, and because like the two through six seeds could be off by like three games. And then it's just coming down to fluke and some random, you know, game winner that, that went in. So I, I like the case you made last year. I haven't done this yet for this season, but last year in my column ranking MVP winner possibilities, not necessarily like the order that how they'd finish, but just who could win. My third tier was number four and five on my list. And it was Dame and Jokic. And I put both of them in the same spot that clearly was wrong in hindsight of that the best season possible to me was like a third place on the ballot finish. And obviously Jokic won the award, so that was wrong. But to me, that's my hesitation with Lillard still, even though I guess I haven't learned my lesson. It's just like, I, I don't feel like the Blazers and Lillard quite have that last, last gear to get to the very top. Um, 
and, and I didn't think that about Jokic and he got there. He, he, he put his game to another level last year, but we also tried really hard not to give him the MVP, even though he had earned it. So uh, to me, when I do that exercise this year, I fear that Lillard is going to end up kind of in that range. Um, I honestly, I'll, I'll give you a couple names real quick. I don't need to make the case for them of, of this mid-tier group because the case is pretty obvious, but I'm just going to preempt it and say, I would not bet on these guys. I would rather just put my money on Giannis. Like on other, other awards, I like to kind of build a position, grab a couple longer guys. So here I, I would just rather keep my money at 800 Giannis because LeBron, I see at 1600 for bet rivers. It's LeBron. That's the case. It's LeBron James. We always will want to include him in the conversation. But is it LeBron? That's my question, because with Russell Westbrook there, he can't be LeBron. It doesn't matter. It, the numbers, no, nothing matters with LeBron. Like, like, listen. We were ready to give him an undeserved MVP last year. I will say that. There was exactly. a real exactly narrative what I was just gonna say. for a trophy he did not deserve. Like, there's all he this was talk about how he was the, the MVP. favorite. Like, there was all this talk last year about how, oh, he was the favorite until he got hurt. Oh, he would, it, I'm crazy. sorry. At, the, at a bare minimum, like the best you could really argue at that point in the season was that he was third behind Jokic and Embiid. Realistically, 100%. I think you could have put him a couple slots lower than that. Yeah. Like, I, I think we need to chill with this narrative that LeBron was going to win it before he got hurt. He might have won it just based on narrative, but he wouldn't have been the deserving pick. A hundred percent. I agree with every word of that. I don't need to make the argument any further. We need to stop with the LeBron was going to be the MVP and, and then he got hurt. That's just, that's not what the case was. So it, to me, LeBron is another investment. It's a cash out. It's plus 1600. We're going to do the same thing. I don't think LeBron's going to win MVP. I do think we're going to have a three week stretch where the Lakers go like 12 and one and murder everyone. And everyone's going to be like, well, wait a minute. Isn't LeBron the MVP and like Ramona Shelburne and all the LA people are going to do all the LA LeBron stuff. Wendy will be like making all of his comments. Like we're going to have that moment. It's LeBron. We always have that moment and then I'll cash out and, well, and you know, something lower going, than 1600. <laughs> if you're going the cash out route, their early season schedule is a cakewalk. Like there I think they go. play like 15 of their first 21 at home. They barely play any playoff teams. They don't really start to travel until after Christmas. So if you want to just bet that like they're going to roast all these bad teams because they have such a high floor with all that star power, then bet LeBron, watch them go like 21 and six or something. Why does six always my lost call number? I don't know. Um, <laughs> watch them jersey, that's why. Right, yeah. Watch them build up a big record and then cash out. But like, I, I don't think there's any reasonable, unless Westbrook gets hurt or something. I don't think there's yeah. any realistic way that LeBron is right. going to actually well, win. That's the, that's the thing. Basically, that's my plays in this middle tier. My other one is James Harden, and it's the same sort of case. It's that I don't trust Kyrie Irving as Kyrie Irving, and I don't trust Kevin Durant at this stage of his career and coming off the Olympics. So Harden, I know, didn't make it through last season, but has been very durable over time. So if Harden is, you know... In, in my rankings, I go through and do my own MVP rankings. And Harden was a top two MVP deserving candidate, something like five or six years in a row until this, the last season. So he's, he's very good. He's going to have great numbers. He was putting up absurd assist numbers. We'll come back to that, I assure you, uh, when, when they actually were all out there for the, like, the 12 seconds they played together last year. So I, I think 
Harden, I, I made the case for him often last year as that he should be the, the MVP candidate and should be in the race. And then, you know, they all got hurt and kind of fell apart. It's a rough narrative. Nobody wants to vote for James Harden. You know, like it's not quite as bad as last year when he literally tanked out of Houston. But that all the things we said about Steph and Luca and Giannis and, and LeBron, all the opposite for, for James Harden. Like, and he's on a super team and nobody really likes him. And he does all the flopping thing. And that's going to be a story with the new foul rule. So I, I don't love it, but I think that James Harden is awesome and should be in the race. I just don't feel like people are going to necessarily vote for it. I'd just rather put my money on Giannis. I hedged Harden so hard last year. So I was in San Diego for that two week, like two or three week stretch where the Nets went like, I don't know, they won like 13 in a row or went 12 or one something when Durant was out and it was just Harden and there was him saying he deserved to be the MVP. And there was this real push, especially because nobody wanted to give it to Jokic. So literally the day I get back to Las Vegas, I have, I'm, I'm driving back with my mom. I literally have her drop me off at Caesars. And I walked to basically every book on the strip asking for their hardened odds, <laughs> trying to get the best ones. And ironically, I think Caesars had the best, or it might have been the MGM that had the best. I can't remember exactly. It was one of the first ones that I hit. I ended up going back there after two or three hours of walking. And I think I bet like $1,000 on Harden to an MVP because there was a moment where it really looked like it might happen, right? When Durant had missed all that time. And, you know, they had really, like, they were really in the running for the number one seed in the East. Then he gets hurt and that's gone. I think over a full season, those three players, like they're not going to be as injured as they were last year. So I just find it hard to believe that any one of them can get into the race. But there was a moment for Harden. I do think that's valid. And then my real long shot, the guy that I like, I think I will put something on him, Jason Tatum, 40 to one. I think the Celtics are like quietly really underrated. I, first of all, we seem to have forgotten that they were in the Eastern Conference Finals, what, three of the four years before last year? Yeah. Right. Like this is not a team that is used to being what were they seventh last year? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. They, they played the nets in the first round. I think they're going to be one of the better defenses, right? Like look at the starting lineup, smart, awesome defender, Jalen, very good defender, Tatum, very good defender, Horford, very good defender that fits more what they probably want to do. Richardson, pretty good. And then you go to the bench, like Schroeder is pretty good. You have some young guys there, of course, but like Robert Williams, flash defensive player of the year upside in the playoffs against the Nets. I think they're going to like quietly be a top five defense. And we have top five defense plus like 28 point per game efficient scorer. I think that's a realistic formula. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I like your case for the Celtics better than I like your case for Tatum as MVP. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to Boston and some of my other awards where I like the spot better for them. I do think it's an underrated team. I'm just... I guess to me, why I like the Celtics is because I like the roster so much, not because I'm in love with Tatum, which is not to say I'm not. I just, I like Jalen Brown a lot. I like Marcus Smart. I like the big men that they have. I like Horford being back. Um, I don't know that I see Tatum having this absolute superstar MVP year in him. Um, he, he seems to me like the the Paul George sort of thing. You know, PG had that third place finish a couple of years ago. I feel like he's he's maybe more of that range of candidate to me. But I, I think it's interesting. Raheem Palmer at Action Network is big on, on Tatum as one of his sleeper guys. Let me give you my sleeper that is a similar-ish case on another East team that I think is underrated. And 
if I'm being honest, I think that this guy probably goes in that Dame Jokic sort of tier where kind of about where I'd put Tatum as best case scenario, you probably finish third, fourth, fifth in the ballot. I don't know if you're going to win. I like the Miami Heat this year. I don't like them long-term. I don't like having all my money tied up to Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler. But in the short term, I have a great coach in Eric Spolstra. I have Lowry and Butler and Bam who are going to show up and fight hard every second of every game because they don't know how to do it any other way. Well, like that, and Tucker and Markeith Morris. Yeah, like, yeah. That team, I, I made this joke on Twitter at the time. Like Their next signing is just going to be a Louisville slugger with barbed wire wrapped <laughs> around it. Like That team is going to yeah. be such a pain to play against. Yeah, they're gonna sign. They're gonna sign Negan from The Walking Dead and bring him in. <laughs> That's he's gonna be the starting shooting guard on that team. So Jimmy Butler is sixty-five to one at FanDuel. I feel like it would be easy for me to see the the storyline of like, couldn't the Heat be a top two seed in the East? We're I really need, don't think so. We're gonna need either Brooklyn or Milwaukee to take a step back, but the defense is gonna be very good. I don't know about the offense. But I think that defense could be very, very strong. That just everyone on the team plays defends well and defends hard. And it's an effort thing for me that they're, they're going to show up. We need them to stay healthy. And that's a, a question mark. But Butler, you know, it, it hasn't been so long still since that finals run and going toe to toe with LeBron. I don't know that I really, truly believe that he could win it. I do think that he could get into that range of, of like, man, the heat are having such a good season. They're the two or the three seed. Um, I like the Heat a little bit more than the Celtics as the team that can have a pretty high floor. And like, I think it's only once. I think in one of the next two years, the Heat have one really good season left in them. And then it just completely implodes. But I, I like their chances of getting there. You don't like it. No, I, it's just, I the Nets and the Bucks are so unassailable as top two seeds to me. That like, I feel like what's going to end up happening their injuries might change this, but like, I think the likeliest outcome here is that the Nets and the Bucks win between 60 and 65 games. And then whoever the number three seed is probably wins like 53 to 55. And there's just such a clear chasm that I think it's going to be hard for anybody on one of those teams to overcome that. I like Atlanta as my surprise number three seed in the East. I just think they're so deep. They were so good after Nate McMillan took over and they had so many injury issues they had to fight through that presumably aren't going to be as much of an issue this year. So if I were going to pick a sleeper candidate from like this, maybe the number three seed race in the East, Trey young is pretty high on my list at 20 to one. Um, but I'm not crazy about that. I think ultimately teams three through six in the East are going to be like relatively close. Yeah, I think so. And the West, because the West only has the Lakers and not two teams at the top, it, to me, yep. it leaves the path a little easier for Lillard or, you know, who, Luca, maybe if the Mavericks jump for whoever that team is, there's an extra spot available to me where it's not Milwaukee and Brooklyn taking it. Uh, my hesitation with Atlanta is it comes back to the defense thing. I just don't trust their defense enough. It, it's more of an, it's a good offense. That's not an elite offense and it's a, an average or probably bad defense. Like, the things I'm looking for from a hallmark of a great regular season team, that defense, the floor, and the the coach that I rely on, I'm not saying it will be bad. Just McMillan and this defense and this group of guys is not that same team that I'm willing to 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 just know. Like Atlanta is a team that's going to have like a bad month where things swoon a little bit or something because 
defense travels and I don't trust what Atlanta is good at to show up every single week all year long to get into that top, top group to me. So I, I see it. I understand. I'm a little worried too about the foul thing with Trey and like how his game will adjust to that as well. Um, and I, I think too, he is a guy that there are some voters who would just like steadfastly refuse to give him credit and vote for him until we see enough of it that you have to. So to me, that's the case against Trey. Um, I, I would love to see it. I'm a huge fan, but I, I need to see a little bit more before. Like I'm a little worried that the Hawks are the analog to what the Blazers were a few years ago. You know, the Blazers had that run where they made it to the conference finals, but looking back and, and then like they, they signed everyone, you know, they signed Myers Leonard and Evan Turner. They gave out like $7 billion to all the guys on their roster, lock it in. And I was like, Oh wait, we got some nice injury luck and we made the most of it. We had a nice run. Maybe we shouldn't have locked everything in. The Hawks aren't quite that, but I, I do worry that there's a little bit of like, all right, you faced a Knicks team that we all knew was probably not quite as good as they looked in the regular season. You faced a Sixers team that imploded and Embiid got hurt and you made the most of it. No, nothing takes away from that. I'm just not ready to crown you as the, the next team up. I think I need to see a little bit more from them still. They are really dependent on Clint Capella having another like all defense caliber yeah. year. For this, which maybe is realistic, maybe it isn't. I lean towards the fact that it is. But I, I get that logic. You like Boston and Miami, though. You mentioned them being factors in some other awards. I'll let you pick. Where do you want to go next? Well, since we're talking about Boston and Miami, this isn't the sexiest award. But the one that fits with those two, let's go to Coach of the Year. Yeah. Because Miami and Boston, you know, Spolstra and Ime Udoka, those are the two guys that I like for this award. They're the top of my list. They're really, they're the two names I'm playing. So, Coach of the Year, I did a little research on it. So here's what Coach of the Year has looked like over the last 10, 10 seasons. I have these exact numbers, but go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's very, very straightforward. Well, it's, it's your podcast. You give the numbers then. Um, Tom Thibodeau won as the number four seed last year. Before that, the past 10 winners were all top three seeds. Eight of them were top two seeds. There you yep. go. Pick your top four, pick your top six, whatever it's going to be. Figure out who the yep. best teams are and figure out which coach you think is going to win. I, I, you know, he's the betting favorite, but I have Steve Nash on this front. I do think there is a scenario where the Nets win 70 games. Like, I think that's legitimately in play. So I might bet Nash for that exact purpose. But like, if you think those teams are the Bucks, the Nets, the Lakers, and I have the Jazz, but, you know, fill in West team number X, you can honestly just bet those four coaches. They're all plus 850 or better and just make a profit if any of them wins. So I want to push back on that because I agree with what you're saying about like it's we know that it's got to be just a high win total team and those are the teams that we expect to be there. The the pushback that I'll say is so of the last 10 winners, here's here's a few more numbers. All 10 coaches who won coach of the year improved their record from the previous season. So it's kind of a duh, but like the Lakers and Bucks and Nets were really good already. That's going to be hard to improve your record. All 10 improved the record and they improved it by an average of 11 wins from the previous season. So it's not a small thing. All 10 winners beat their team over under that season and they all beat it by an average of 12 wins. So again, to me, what that says is we, you, we can't give this award to a Nash or a Vogel 
Like those guys, we already know their teams are going to be good. Maybe if the Nets win 70, then they improve by those margins. But like now we're literally betting on history to happen and it's never a good idea to bet on history. So yeah, I agree. It has to be like a 55, 60 win team. But to me, it has to be a team that wasn't in that range last year. That's kind of ready to make the leap. Normally, that means you're looking for a team in the 40 to 50 win range that's going to jump to like 55, 60. This year, we still need to get 55, 60, but obviously we had less games last year. So I was looking for a team in like the 35 to 45 win range from pandemic schedule. Um, And you need that jump. And the other thing too is seven of the last eight coaches of the year, their teams finish in the top five defense. So same thing we've been talking about. And three of the last five winners were in their first year on their team. So Ime Odoka fits all of those things. The Celtics were exactly 500 last season. Their over-under is 45 and a half. So if Boston comes out and looks very good, you know, they the Celtics were 14th on defense last year, but fourth and seventh the two years before that. And Smart's going to be playing a lot more. Addition by subtraction with Kemba gone is certainly on the defensive end. Um Boston could have a, a good offense and a very good defense. And Udoka fits all those things. He's a new coach. He's going to have a very good defense. The Celtics can improve from 500 to, you know, that two, three seed range. So I like him a lot. Spolstra is kind of a similar case. I made the case for the heat earlier. Spolstra is, is the betting favorite or close. So that kind of took the, the luster away. I did the work and came out with my list before looking at the favorites. And I was bummed to find that he was the favorite. I do think with him, there'd be a little momentum of like, well, he's a great coach. We've never given it to him before. So there could be that a little bit. He's never um, won coach of the year. Never won. They see that's oh, exactly it. We're yeah, going to have that right. moment. <laughs> he like he, yeah, he's got to be the best coach. He's never won it. Right. Well, I mean, in the modern era, probably I'd have to go he back. He might be and the look, best coach in the NBA. I would have him and Nick Nurse as my top two. Yeah, very high for sure. Yeah. So, so it's the the reaction you're having is exactly why I think that yeah. he is a legit candidate because we're going to see that reaction. If the Heat are as good as I think they could be, he's going to get a lot of the credit. And like Jimmy Butler probably can't win MVP even if they're that good. Spolsta definitely could win Coach of the Year if they're that good. So those are the two names that stuck out to me. The other guys who fit that criteria that I don't like as much, but just to give some other names, Steve Kerr fits that range. If you believe in the Warriors making the big jump. Although if that happens, Steph's going to win MVP and not Kerr winning coach of the year. So I think that's the easy case against him. They are a team with a high defensive floor though. So I like the fit there in theory, Atlanta. If you believe in them, Nate McMillan, if you think the defense is going to be good, I'm not going to bet it, but maybe you should bet it. If you believe in Trey and what Atlanta is doing, I think that 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 is probably the third best fit on the on the list. And then I'm a Rick Carlisle guy. Like I'm always a big fan of his. Indiana has a ton of talent and in a very strong starting five if they actually stay healthy. Yeah, that's so, my that's my issue with Indiana. The TJ yeah, Warren thing is such a bummer. Yeah. So he's 25 to one at BetMGM. It's a long shot. I don't know that I think Indiana can get to the range we're talking about. Like that's not a 55 or 60 win team. It wouldn't stun me because the, the talent is there and Carlisle is a great coach and maximizes his guys. But I, I like I like the Boston and Miami plays a lot better. 
I have one real deep sleeper here, but I think he's probably a year away, and that's Chris Finch. He's 40 to 1 right now. My guy, let's go. I, <laughs> I think he I think Minnesota is probably gonna be a playing team this year. I think the days of them like picking in the top five, that's over. He finished the season 10 and 9 last year, obviously get healthy down the stretch. Plus, if they get Ben Simmons, putting aside all of the playoff issues, Ben Simmons is an awesome regular season player and is exactly the sort of player they need. I don't know if they can seal the deal on that trade, but if you do think that they're gonna get Ben Simmons. I would throw a little bit on on Finch at 40 to one, but you're right from the range that we're usually talking about with coaches here. I think they're probably a year away from this. Yeah. I love Chris Finch. I'm a Timberwolves fan. I'm a big believer in what he's doing. I do think the team is getting slept on a little bit. If they, if they actually stay healthy, that they're going to be better than people think, but he doesn't fit. I'm very big on fit the model of what we've seen from past winners and the, the wolves just aren't good enough. Like they're, they, they might be a lot better, but they're sure as heck not sniffing 55 wins this year. And yeah, you're keep not an eye on that them for next year. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think that he's, he's a year away and they're a year away. I, I tried to even figure out, like, is there an award for Towns somewhere? Like, I, I looked, I, this is sad, but I looked for him under most improved, just thinking, like, like, he's already good. He's already an awesome player, but maybe if the Timberwolves win, people will finally admit that he's good. So I looked you know, just for the story of that, but he's not even really an option anywhere. But I, I, I am optimistic. I think the Timberwolves and, and Finch and Towns, it's going to be better this year. But part of that is because it can hardly be worse. So let's While not talk about the Timberwolves anymore. <laughs> I have one Timberwolves question before we move okay. on. Our top 100 at CBS, we rank the 100 best players in the NBA. It's due tomorrow as of this recording. The list I have right now, which I have not submitted, has Towns number 22. Too high, too low, or just right? I think it's probably a little bit too low, but I think it's a fair ranking. Um, I'm looking at this. I have Zion 15th, and I feel a little icky doing that because, I mean, they're very different offensive players, but this archetype of, like, totally dominant offensive big that is not a great defensive player, like, is Zion that much better on offense alone than Towns? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that we kind of underrate what Towns has become offensively just because, you know, he gets into that stage of like the good stats, bad team thing, and we just write guys off and not like there are various versions of the good stats, bad team thing. And like the NBA is a team game. It's not an individual game. Towns has not had help. And like, look, the leadership stuff, some of the locker room issues, they're real. Like he, he has to own that. He's got to get a little better at those things. The team certainly has to play better. It's been too many years, but the talent is there. The numbers are there. I love the Finch hire because of what he had done working with big men and using them as a pivot and a passer. I've always thought Towns was a very underrated passer. So in fancy basketball, I would want all of Towns this year. I think that he has a chance to put up just some like absurd numbers, like 28, 11 and seven, you know, like, you know, by absurd, I mean what Nikola Jokic does every single game, <laughs> but like, that's a pretty good compliment. If you could be putting up Jokic type numbers, the dude just won MVP. So I don't think that's what Towns is going to be just yet. Uh, a couple of years ago, I would have said Jokic and Towns were like top 10 on the bottom of the top 10 of like franchise guys to build around. And I think that Jokic has clearly proven that he is that. And Towns, I think, has proven for now that he isn't. So 
I think, I think probably he would be in my 15 to 25 range. And I probably have him a little closer to 15 than you do. I think he's a little underrated. Like I'd have him ahead of like a Bradley Beal or someone like that personally. But I think that that's kind of the right tier. And I suspect that he's going to end up coming out in that range, but lower than what you have, because I think that's kind of where the the public opinion on him is right now. And, you know, you've got to win at some point. I don't think people appreciate like what a special shooter he is. It's not just that like he's a good shooting big man. Like I think Dirk is the only like high volume shooting big man that even really comes close to him. Right. Like in terms of three point shooting numbers, I think he has a little Anthony Davis in him as far as like, if he is your best player, you might run into some offensive issues. If he is your second best player, like I would rather have Towns as my second best player than say, I don't know, Devin Booker, who's ahead of him, Kyrie, who's ahead of him, Bradley Beal, who's ahead of him. Like the way he could mesh with basically any sort of ball handler, I just don't think people appreciate that enough. And like eventually either I think Minnesota will figure this out and we'll see that or he'll go somewhere else and that team will be able to showcase him more. The talent is just, it's, it's so unique offensively. There's nobody like, like he is the shooter that people think Anthony Davis is, or I guess that he's the shooter that Anthony Davis was, <laughs> was in the 2020 for the playoffs. playoffs. Um, he, that is who he is all of the time. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It, like the thing is, you know, the guys you mentioned, Beal and Kyrie, uh, like maybe Trey Young is in that range. Like all these guys, we've seen it happen. If you put one of those guys on a team with no other talent around them, the team is bad. That's what happens in the NBA. Like, if you are Giannis or LeBron, then fine. You can just win all the games because you're a freak. But there's only a couple of players like that. For everyone else, you need teammates. And Towns is not Giannis and not LeBron, and that's okay. Neither is the whole rest of the world. He's very good. I would instantly take him on my team over those other guys as like a second banana, uh, you know, a part of a team. Um, I, I think that he on the right roster with the right talent would elevate an offense so much by opening up what they can do. And like the defense is a definite concern. And as a center, that's hard. You know, it's hard to build the around Jokic issue too. Absolutely. But like, look what we've just seen. And, and like Denver, I think if Jamal Murray had stayed healthy, a lot of us would have been picking Denver to come out of the West. And I think rightfully so. And guess what? Jokic is going to be the reason why, not the reason why not. So, you know, you can build the right team. Minnesota does not have Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon. So they got to work on those side of things to, to build the team around them. Um, but Towns is a great player. Great players need other great players around them. So we got on to Towns through most improved players. Let's just <laughs> let's pivot there. Okay. I've made one bet already. Keldon Johnson plus 3,000. I feel like he is, he's not obviously one of the favorites, but I feel like he's the sleeper that everybody's in on, right? Like, he gets the Team USA bump. He gets DeMar DeRozan, Patty Mills, Rudy Gay all gone. So there's more minutes and more shots there. Doug McDermott comes in, more spacing. I feel like this is a pretty common sleeper pick. Do you agree? Yeah, and I think, too, I, I've heard about, you know, Derek White and DeJounte Murray. Like, I think everyone is noticing the same thing, which is, boy, it sure seems like there's room for somebody on the Spurs to step forward. <laughs> um, so I don't know who it's going to be. And frankly... Bless you, Pop, but I don't know if the Spurs are really that relevant anymore for it to matter enough. So I, I definitely see the buzz. I, I understand the reason for the Spurs guys. To me, on most improved, Keldon Johnson is is not good enough. And 
the the caliber of player I'm looking for here. Here are the last nine most improved players: Julius Randle, Brandon Ingram, Pascal Siakam, Victor Oladipo, Giannis, CJ McCollum, Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic, Paul George. These are not like fine players who become pretty good players. These are good players who become all-stars or borderline all-NBA players. That's the guy that we are giving most improved to. Like these are guys who might get an MVP vote that season or, you know, might make third team all NBA. So to me, that's the problem with the Spurs guys. Those aren't third team all NBA guys. They just aren't. The Spurs aren't going to have those guys. And, you know, the Spurs are missing that franchise guy, I think, to build around. Looking at the nine guys that, that I just mentioned now, here's, here's what happened from the season before they won till the season after. So the season before they won, Average 14 points, five and a half rebounds, three assists. The season after they average the season that they won, they averaged 21 points, six and a half rebounds, four and a half assists. So the numbers mostly stayed the same, but they increased points per game by 50%. At the end of the day, we still like our scoring. And so we need a guy, we need a player who's pretty good, but not already awesome. And the other thing, too, is that it's almost always someone in that 22 to 26 age range. Dragic is the only one that fell out of that because he was older at the time. But basically, the last decade, we're looking for someone 22 to 26 and around like 15.5 rebounds that's ready to make the leap. So to me, Keldon Johnson is not good enough yet to be like he would need to improve before the most improved award. Like he's a year away to me. So let me give you a few guys that I think fit the the scenario that I painted. The guy that I think should be the most likely to win, but whose value is totally gone now because it's been bet off the board is Michael Porter Jr. Porter is like, it's just such an obvious easy pick because Jamal Murray's out. Porter with Jamal Murray out averaged 25 and seven last season. He had three and a half threes a game which would have been like fourth in the league per game over the season. He shot 56, 45, 85 during that stretch. I think Porter can potentially have a monster season. I bet him at 1600, maybe a month or six weeks ago, and his odds are just gone now. The best I could find today is at a thousand at points bet. He's at 950 at others. I've seen him at 750. Like that's that's there's no value left there anymore. But what do you think about Michael Porter Jr.? Do you agree that from not necessarily from a betting point of view, but just who would win? Does he seem like an obvious candidate to you? I do think that's a good case. I never quite know what to do with candidates like Porter because a lot of the improvement has already happened, right? We're just waiting for it to be reflected in the stats. Like Christian Wood is another guy like this. He's one of the favorites. And I just feel like saying, have you people not been watching Christian Wood? Like Christian Wood is already awesome. There's no more improvement to be had here, right? Like Siakam and McCollum are guys that like McCollum was barely in the rotation the year before he won, right? Like Siakam was a decent bench guy who went to starting power forward slash borderline all-star. I mean, some of these, that's sort of where I would push back a little bit is you're arguing that you have to be at a certain level before you can improve enough. But like, I don't know, like was Siakam in that group? Was McCollum? There are a couple of winners that like, made real leaps out of nowhere. I just, Porter would have to, you'd have to be like a bona fide, no questions asked all-star to win it. And I don't think the bar is that high for other guys. Like, I don't think, well, 
Actually, no, he actually might the more I think about it. Another guy I have on here is a longer shot, OG Ananobi at plus 450 yes. or plus 4,500. Plus 6,600 at BetMGM. And this Even is my better. guy. So you make the case and I'll add on top yeah. of that. He is uh, maybe right around Ben Simmons level. It's those two and then everybody else as far as best defensive man-to-man forwards in the NBA. Like if you need to lock down Kawhi Leonard or Luka Doncic or whoever it is, you, you want either OG Ananobi or Ben Simmons as your defender. That's already there. The shooting is really underrated. He's grown into like a genuinely very good shooter. The last step for him is the ball handling, but the Raptors have such a good track record of teaching guys to do that. Yep. That's how Pascal Siakam won, right? So if you're trusting Toronto's development, frankly, trusting your own eyes because like the scoring is going up every year. He's not much of a playmaker, but you see bits and pieces of it more as, as time progresses. And if you just watch, like he's doing more with the ball in his hands every year. There's a lot of improvement case for the Raptors too, you know, coming back from Tampa and playing in Canada again. Like, I think that alone is going to be really helpful. Plus, if they're at all decent with Kyle Lowry gone, I feel like there's going to be a narrative case there, right? Where it's like, oh, maybe the reason they overachieved wasn't just Lowry all along. Like, maybe there's more to it. Maybe Ananobi's the guy now. Like, I am very strongly considering having Ananobi as the highest ranked Raptor on my top 100. I think he's sorely underrated by the public. I don't think that he's going to, like, make that sort of leap necessarily, but I think that narratively we might give him that credit. And I think that you might actually be underrating the leap that he can make. Like we think about the, in the NBA, we've seen these long defensive wings who are the, you know, the lockdown defenders that we kind of pigeonhole as like, well, let's just hope that they can shoot a corner three. And then we see them develop, you know, like that's the Kawhi Leonard arc. And I'm not saying that OG is Kawhi, but the arc is a lot more similar than I think people give credit for it. It um, doesn't even have to be that far. It could be Paul George. Like he doesn't absolutely. have to be like Paul George one is of the another best. one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he doesn't OG have to gone... be the best isolation scorer in the NBA. He just has yeah. to be able to dribble a little bit. Well, yeah, and he's not going to be. So we're not saying that he's going to turn yeah. into that. But OG is gone right now from six points a game to seven to ten and a half to sixteen. He was at sixteen this year, sixteen and five. So if he's at sixteen and five, why couldn't he get to 26 and you know three and a half assists he's going to get a little bit more ball in his hands because lowry is gone so there's a little more usage to go around and i could see too scotty barnes being important because barnes is such a good defender that maybe that takes a little bit of the assignment off of og and lets him give a little bit more energy in the offense so that makes sense to me like look at the raptors siakam ben vliet chris boucher this franchise develops guys year after year after year and turns surprises out. And I just think Ananobi, like he's a guy that I had my eye on last year and it felt a year early. This is the year I think with him, he's age 24. He is the, the absolute bullseye target of the criteria that I talked about. Um, we, we talked about him. The guys on our buckets fancy podcast are very high in OG Ananobi. He's rated like 60th or something on a lot of the consensus ranks for fantasy and that they think that he might be like a top 25 guy. So he, he's my guy the OG at 66 to one is a crazy number to me. Uh, he, he, this, this is maybe a, one of my very favorite bets on the entire podcast. Like that's definitely a one that I have got some money on. And I was looking around and his number has dropped a lot too. So make sure that you get it at the right book. The 66 is at MGM, but I've seen him at like 25 at some other places. So as all of these, make sure that you shop around or 
do you know do what Sam did and like run down the strip and and check casino casino finding the right place. <laughs> so the problem I I think I did this in like the middle of April. If you've ever been to Vegas in the middle of April, it's I like not. <laughs> it, it's not pleasant. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend doing the physical running, but check all of your apps. Um, I have some other forwards who are in like a similar vein, but I just don't think they're good enough, right? Like I have a Wizards forward group where like. I think one of Kyle Kuzma and Rui Hachimura is going to pop. I don't know which one. I think the odds are low enough that if you like that idea, you can just bet both. I just don't think either is quite good enough. Like, I don't see a scenario where either is an all-star close to it this year. Yeah, that's that's the thing for me. They're not going to be good enough. Whatever their improvement is, they're not hitting the level that makes me want to play them. If the Bulls are good, I think Patrick Williams is going to be a big reason why. But that seems more like he was so wrong coming into the NBA. It just that has to be a year three or year four thing. Yeah, I think Patrick Williams is OG Ananobi a couple of years from now. We'll come back on and we'll talk about him like one or two seasons from now as the guy who is finally about to get there. But I think it's too early with him. It's a shame because if he was like one or two years older, he is exact like the player that we want him to become is exactly the player that this Bulls team needs. Oh, so much. Yeah, they, they really need his development to happen. I think, though, with what the Bulls team is, gives him very low chance of winning this award because DeRozan and Levine and Vooch are going to eat a lot of usage and points. And at the end of the day, we still need numbers. And like Patrick Williams is not going to score 20 points a game on that team, not even close right now. So I just, it's important on these. You got to have a guy that puts numbers up. Like at the end of the day, I, I made the case last year for Joe Ingles for six man over and oh, over. Oh, we'll get again. to that. We'll yeah. 100% get to that. Yeah, <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, like Ingles was not going to win because we vote for buckets. We, we want guys who are going to go get buckets. That's, that's how all the awards come down to it. So like, don't pick Scotty Barnes as your MV or rookie of the year. Don't pick Patrick Williams as your, your breakout guy. They're not going to score enough. You got to have points. And if you can't get points, nothing else matters. So I, speaking of points, I have sort of a Ben Simmons trade special category here. Okay. If the Sixers trade Ben Simmons and like, depending on what they get, the point guard spot opens up. Is there any part of you that's looking at Tyrese Maxey at plus 10,000? For most improved. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Say they trade Ben Simmons for Pascal Siakam. Sure. I feel like if he's a starter, I think there's something there. I'm a huge Maxey fan. I had him top five on my draft board. And I've really seen no reason to back off of that. He, he's looked very good and certainly has flashes. He's, he's a leader. He's going to be a scorer. His shooting is coming around. I like it. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not opposed to it. It's such a long number that if you can even squint and see a little possibility of it, then sure, sprinkle a little bit on it. Um, I, I try to do the same thing with Jaden Springer, another guy that's this year. He was top five on my board and he's in Philadelphia again. I try to talk myself into Springer as a rookie of the year long shot with basically the same case of like, well, if Simmons is gone, what if Springer moves into a big role? Probably the Maxi role with Maxi being elevated, but I, I can't quite get there with either one of them, but I love both. I wouldn't be shocked. I could see Maxi having a really big season. I almost wonder, you know, what to me, he seems so catered to being a really good sixth man. I almost wonder, could there be a scenario where Springer or somebody else moves into that role? Or maybe they get a point guard back in a Simmons trade 
And Maxi gets to be like the six man extraordinaire pl- taking this big usage, Lou Williams, sort of role. I could totally see Maxi winning six man. If he, if he had that role, I think most improved is a little bit too far to me, but I like him. I, I don't hate the play. So let's say they do get a, a point guard in the Ben Simmons trade. Here's the guy I'm circling Colin Sexton. I think Colin Sexton is somebody when he came into the NBA One of the things that people loved about him, like one of the things that was really highlighted in his scouting reports is that he just had sort of like a winning tough as nails attitude. And that hasn't translated because he's been in Cleveland on terrible teams. If you look at the scoring numbers, I've been saying this all off season, the combination of volume and efficiency, even though he's been on a terrible team is really rare, right? Like it looks a little bit like Devin Booker on those early terrible Suns teams. If he got to Philly, and even put up static numbers, right? If he was still 24 and five on pretty good shooting numbers, I think the perception of him would change so much that he would be a candidate here. Yeah, I don't hate it. I've never been a huge Sexton fan. I had him buried in my draft coverage, um, but he's really surprised me. I have to admit that I just missed out on him. You know, he, he, I thought that he was going to be a scorer. I did not think he was going to be as efficient as he has been. And I certainly didn't expect him to shoot it like he has. So once that has come around, you know, I, I do think he seems to me like a guy that I want as my awesome scoring sixth man. I don't know if I want him necessarily in a big high paid starting role, which I think he's about to be soon. He's going to he's going to get that that bag. So I, I don't know if I'm quite there yet. I'm willing to concede that I, I missed the boat on him, but I, I think I still want him you know, scoring 18 off the bench in, in on the right sort of team, certainly on a very good team. Like imagine him, you know, coming off the bench for the Lakers or for the, the Bucks. I or suggested that very thing this offseason, oh, but nobody heeded I mean, my warnings. Yeah, th- that would be terrifying. Like that would be, you would be such a good player on a LeBron team too. LeBron loves to play with that sort of, you know, the, the confident off the bench gunner sort of guy. That's one of my least favorite guys as an archetype to build a team around, but me and LeBron build teams differently, and that that would have been a great fit on a team like that. So I, I think that's Sexton's best role if we can get there. But I don't know. I, I don't hate it in Philly. I could see him being a nice fit there too. Wait, are you telling me you wouldn't gut your roster to trade for a mid-30s Russell Westbrook? Are you sure? <laughs> I mean, uh, LeBron and I see things a little differently. Let's just leave it there. He, he came up clutch on that one for me as a, as a Lakers hater, and I do mean pun intended on the clutch. I think, okay, that seems like a good place to take a brief (laughs) pause because we've gone way longer than I thought we were going to, but you did warn me about this coming in. We're going to split this into part one and part two. So what's going to happen now? First of all, Brandon, where can people find your work? So uh, you can find all my stuff at the Action Network. Uh, You can follow, please, please listen to our podcast, Buckets, which is part of the Action Network podcast network. Uh, you can find us there weekly on Wednesday episodes and probably more coming soon. And I'm covering NBA and NFL full-time at the Action Network. You can also see me at, at Wheaton Brando on Twitter and find all my props and all the other good stuff there. So that's, that's where I'm at. So listeners, you will hear part two tomorrow. Brandon, you will hear it in two minutes. I just have to go grab a computer charger. <laughs> so that'll do it for us here today. Um, I'm Sam Quinn. Like, subscribe, review, et cetera, et cetera, whatever you got to do. And we will be back tomorrow, but really in a few minutes.